Hello, and welcome to Are You Karate Kidding Me? Your source for recaps, analysis, and items of interest from all around the Miyagi-verse. That's right, we like to hang out in the Miyagi-verse. We are ardent fans of the Karate Kid and of the new Karate Kid spinoff, Cobra Kai, now in its second season. Now celebrating our second year. (laughs) (laughs) And we are here because we're a little loopy because we have just binged all of season two of Cobra Kai, Mm -hmm. which premiered on YouTube right before midnight Texas time uh, on the night of April 23rd and a day April 24th. And we have many reactions. So this is our season two reaction episode. This is season two react. Um... (laughs) Uh, normally our stock and trade is recaps. We do very involved recaps of every single episode of Cobra Kai and all the Karate Kid movies. Slowly but surely. Yes. However, those normal episodes take quite a bit of production time. And since YouTube drops all their episodes at once, there is physically no way we could have done every single episode of Cobra Kai. If we had meth and a burrito, we might have been able to do every episode of Cobra Kai. Mm-hmm. Or some of Terry Silver's. Yeah. Terry Silver's secret sauce. Um, yeah. Um, anyway, yeah. The, his cobra powder. Yes, his, his, his Terry Silver. So our intent is to do this as a summary impressions episode of all of season two, and then... So come back in two weeks for our recap of season two, episode one, Mercy Part Two. Before we get into anything spoilery, general impressions. What do we think? I mean, wow. Wow, right? Wow. Um, I don't want to give anything away, so I don't I, yet like for the next three minutes, so I can't convey how I really feel inside, which is like I have a bunch of ants crawling all over, and I want to like run around and talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to say this: that at the end of season one, I wasn't sure how they could possibly heighten in the kind of whimsical but very, very emotionally grounded world that is Cobra Kai, mm-hmm. and they heightened beyond my expectations. I mean, because it's Cobra Kai, I laughed. I cried, and then I had my guts wrenched out. It's just heightening, surprising, and totally worth it. I think heightening is the word there. That is the exact thing I was going to call out, which is, again, without spoiling anything yet, it expands the world in many important ways. Yep. It's funnier than season one in a lot of ways. Yeah. It's more emotional than season one in a lot of ways, for mm-hmm. sure. Yep. And the stakes have been raised significantly over season one. The creators have talked on many an occasion about how it's somewhere in between a TV series and a five-hour movie that they've created. And, you know, if we look at this as the sequel to the first five-hour movie, the second five-hour movie is like... I'm I'm sure there's going to be some Empire Strikes Backs comparisons. Yeah, this is kind of Karate Empire Strikes Back, and in insofar as that it, it raises the stakes and and it does end on a bit of a cliffhanger, to say an understatement. Yeah, it heightens. It is also really impressive because they expand the scope. They still stay in the valley, but they bring in a lot of new characters mm-hmm. to explore the same questions that that drove season one and build on those questions. I feel like you know season one was exploring the different ways that kids find their balance in life and, and adults find their balance or not. And, and it was very much about exploring vulnerability mm-hmm. and owning vulnerability and support as things that were necessary to examine in your life and the importance of mercy. And I think that this season is going to be more about the importance of humility, right? The importance of solidarity. Mm-hmm. Like if I were going to say there was a moral arc from this whole season, it's moral superiority will be the death of us all. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair takeaway. I think that the idea of balance is still very much in play. Like the show wants us to think that Miyagi-Do is all about balance. But no, what the show and the Karate Kid movies have always said is it's greater than that. Life is about balance. It's complete yin and yang. There can be no Miyagi-Do without Cobra Kai and vice versa. But it's only through unifying those ideas that we are able to get anywhere. And then when we don't, that's when disaster strikes. So... I want to say one more thing in case you are unconvinced about watching Cobra Kai and you stumbled upon our podcast, <laughs> which <laughs> With is a, this very odd episode to stumble upon, but which go is ahead. amazing. Congratulations. Honestly, this show is so 
freaking hilarious. We're talking about the heavy stuff that just happened in it and that it has all this, these moral implications. But man, it is so entertaining. I feel like this is just the best case for keeping reboots of 80s franchises because if they're approached in a smart way like Cobra Kai is, you will laugh your ass off and learn a ton. So yeah. Fair enough. That's it. I'm happy to go into spoiler town. All right. Well then, let me just say this. The following... <laughs> Remainder of this episode contains spoilers for season two of Cobra Kai. We highly recommend that you watch season two of Cobra Kai before listening to the rest of this episode. If you want to experience this show chronologically with us, please skip ahead to the next episode, which will be Mercy Part Two. And if you spoil yourself, then give me 20 push-ups on your knuckles. Indeed. <laughs> Well, I have flipped the page to the spoiler section. <laughs> oh, my God. So here's how we're going to do it. We have a list of sort of six questions that are lingering for us after watching this that involve our reactions. And then we have a list of just our feelings about various bests and exciting things. Mm -hmm. So, Colin, number one, what about Miguel? To peek behind the curtain, my list has one bullet point at the top. And the only thing that it says is, Miguel. <laughs> We're going to start where the season two ends, which is what the hell happened to Miguel? What's going to happen to Miguel? And how is this fallout from possibly one of the most epic fights in recent television memory? That fight was designed to go viral. That fight, because this is a show on YouTube, that fight's going to be viral within the next two weeks. Oh, I'm going to help make it viral. Uh, that is, <laughs> it is, I think it's probably the best TV fight since that Daredevil hallway sequence from uh, the Netflix Daredevil show. Yeah. Yeah, that one that, that went nuts. But yes, there is a buck wild eight minutes. We counted it. It's a solid third of Over the final. Over eight minutes. Yeah, it's a solid third of the final episode where there is a school fight that starts and does not stop, and it is amazing. When we do the recap of that episode, we will sure. go beat by beat. But <clears throat> You know, what on earth is going to happen with Miguel, right? This is the deal. I think it's always this way with Cobra Kai. It was this way with season one of Cobra Kai, where, you know, Johnny won the tournament but lost the ability to be close to his son. I couldn't imagine anything worse than that because this fun and warm show couldn't possibly hurt people for real, right? Oh right. no, that was wrong. Here's where this move, strange as it is, is so brilliant. Miguel is a fulcrum point for every other major character. Yep. He is a love interest for Sam. It may not be reciprocal. He's her friend but, too. But he's They're her friends. friends. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he is a rival to Robbie. Yep. He is... Johnny's student and surrogate son. surrogate son. He is a surrogate for Daniel. He is a modern take on the person Daniel was. So by... We know his family, and his family also is important to Johnny. By injuring Miguel in such a serious way and taking him out of the equation, the fallout is massive. I cannot think of another single character who, if you take them out of the equation... I mean, other than obviously one of the other main characters... Which, again, knock on wood, hopefully <laughs> season three won't do this again to us. But this is, You know, I was talking to some fellow fans and I was like, I'm really worried the show's going to hurt Aisha. Mm. Aisha, no one would ever see it coming. That oh, you someone... mean last year? No, going into this season. I was oh, like, really? I hope in season two they don't hurt someone. I was oh, like, no. I hope it's not going to be Aisha because I couldn't even imagine that Miguel, who's like a POV character for the show, you know, and a Daniel mm -hmm. surrogate, like that would <laughs> didn't even occur to me they would go there. The yeah. other reason it didn't occur to me that they would go there is because Miguel gave into his rage in the fight at the end of season one and I was worried that Miguel would get even darker this season more angry and in fact no the writers are smarter than I am unsurprisingly about the show they've created because Miguel would never just totally turn angry he was unhappy about his own feelings and still hasn't fully worked through them, but he has taken Johnny's advice and learned from all those lessons that Johnny tried to instill in him and Hawk and everyone else at the beginning of season two. So like, I completely misread that how Miguel's arc would work. And in fact, Miguel was all about like taking time, listening, learning and coming, because that's who he's always been, right? He's the Daniel surrogate. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like when he fell in that fight, when Robbie didn't show him mercy, which is another thing I'm gonna talk about in a minute, 
I don't even know. I don't even know what arc remains for Miguel, which one of my friends had said recovery, right? Which I'm hopeful that we, Miguel, I mean, sure. Miguel has to recover. Like there's no yeah. other future for Cobra Kai. Well, that's what makes this such a tantalizing question, right? What will that look like in the future? Because obviously there's going to have to be some sort of recovery. You know, there are certain narrative things that we know about the show, which is to mirror the Karate Kid movies, the next episode, season three, episode one, is probably going to pick up exactly in the same scene where No Mercy Part One ended. I'm sure that there will be a No Mercy Part Two, and it will be back on the beach with Johnny. He will, you know, something will happen. Um, but he's going to need but, his smartphone to try to track Robbie down. Right. And and then he'll find out that Allie message him whatever accepted his friend request which we don't even care about that right now right <laughs> Ali who well but the po- <laughs> but my larger point is like there will be no time skip so whatever happens to Miguel like in the next 24 hours we will know it pretty much immediately exactly um so so that will be something to look forward to but yeah or not god but, but yeah just the fallout is going to be brutal just from that alone yeah I'm going to miss Miguel in action. Mm-hmm. You know, even if he's got to recover for a while, like I'm going to miss seeing Miguel on the mat because he, he's so the glue that of all the things that are good about Cobra Kai and those kids in yeah. that dojo. It's just rough. How do we feel about Daniel and Johnny now? As individuals or in their rivalry? All together. Like season two leaves them both in a pretty tough spot, which is where has the karate gone? Because... Johnny gets his dojo taken away. He loses his students, his relationships, his link to Cobra Kai. You know, the very premise that the show is predicated upon. And Daniel also gets the same kind of fallout where basically Amanda lays down the law and she... Yeah, but... The she fa- plays the no more karate card. The fallout isn't as brutal yet. Here's my feeling about Daniel and Johnny in mm-hmm. relation to one another. Last season, it was all about Johnny making mistakes kind of inadvertently or carelessly and then seeing the fruits of his mistakes as well as the things that he'd done right. Last season, it looked like Daniel sort of could just kind of, once he got his balance midway through, he could occupy the moral high ground, right? He was not trying to train students or do anything, but just do karate for himself. And and then Robbie came along and it became a thing, but it, it was in no way intentional. This season, Daniel has done what Johnny did. He struck out, he took a risk and do, did a new thing, and he made a bunch of mistakes. Well, I don't know if the word is mistakes, but like he, he had to deal with crap. Crease put the pressure on him to train students for a war. And rather than go to Johnny and be like, what's the deal with this? Why is your other sensei doing this? He reacted by training his students harder and harder. And Daniel continued to have a paternalistic attitude. Like, he's like, I trusted Robbie with Sam. Daniel's still thinking about things in the wrong way somehow. And worse than that, he's so prideful at this point because Johnny has screwed up in the past yeah. that he can't acknowledge when Johnny does him a solid. Like Johnny let the kids crash at his house. And yeah, Johnny didn't call him, but like, who knows if Johnny even has Daniel's number. Like Daniel struck first because he was so angry and Daniel kicked the door and Daniel did all those things in the, in the final episode of season two. And then Daniel helped plant the seeds and equip all of these students with this resentment to fight. Mm-hmm. So the difference between Johnny in season one and Daniel in season two is that I think for Johnny, the objective was clear what he needed to go do, which was deprogram his students. And and now for Daniel, I don't think quite understands. Like he doesn't know that he's done wrong. He just knows that he made a mistake, but he's not clear on what it is. What's even worse is that Johnny's lost everything. Daniel could lose everything. Well, we can talk about a theory that you have about what's going to happen to Karate in the Valley. But like before we get to that, Johnny and Daniel both are going to have to find a way to take responsibility for Robbie. Yes. Because now Daniel really failed Robbie. Daniel did all this stuff about acting like Robbie was in the family. And the first moment that Daniel perceived Robbie in any way connected with Johnny, he took that betrayal and his own embarrassment that Robbie went to Johnny rather than him out on Robbie and rejected him. For a second time. It's bad. Yeah, I it's mean, it's bad. I mean, but that's a great point. It's like we've got two point of view characters. Neither of them has the full picture. Daniel is he can claim the moral high ground most of the time pretty well, 
But at the end of the day, he's still a hothead. He still doesn't have quite, you know, I don't want to drag him for anything that he already drags himself for. Like he already feels that he's not as wise as Mr. Miyagi and he's not, you know, there's a lot of insecurity there as well. That's part of the problem. Yeah. Um, but you can't teach somebody to be secure. You, it's just something that, you know, you they just develop, you just have to develop. And, you know, some people are secure about some things and insecure about others. And it's just a big soup. But yeah, at the end of the day, we've also got Johnny on the other end of the spectrum who has a lot of raw talent and a lot of raw energy. And he is, he has something there because he has a lot of ingenuity. We know that he can build up a small business from nothing. Yeah. He's done that a couple of times at this point. And I think... At the end of the day, he still has a lot of baggage around being a father and about being responsible for people that when it comes back to bite him, it's super triggering. Yeah. And man, William Zabka at the at the end of that last episode, just Billy break, Zabka will break your heart. Just breaking your heart. <laughs> like, oh, Johnny. Yeah. Um, yeah. Billy Zabka. Uh, reacting to everything that happened to Miguel and and the and Kreese taking the dojo, which we all knew that was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I'd say right below that, in terms of like emotional gut punches, was the conversation between Daniel and Lucille Larusso. Oh the yeah, the story about Coney Island and like that was really when Daniel's in the doghouse with Amanda and talking to his mom about where he's at. That's just ugh. Yeah. But yeah, no Billy Zabka. Wow. Moving on to question number three. Yes. Sam and Tori. What do you think about that? I think it was something that's kind of necessary. I think that with a show with so many male leads, the show's about balance. And that means balance of gender parity as well. Uh, And I think that the show was in need of an opposite number to Sam. Yeah, and especially so she I, wouldn't be pitted against yeah. Aisha. Well, exactly. Aisha's not that person. Like, they've kind of established Aisha's kind of a go-between worlds type person, kind of a bridge between Miyagi-Do and, and Cobra Kai. Yeah. Um, and so there's only so many ways you can go with a character like that, and I think Femme Fatale is a solid way to go. For Tori, yeah. yeah. Played by Peyton List, who's yeah. really terrifying once oh. she gets in, in full mode. Oh my goodness, yeah. <laughs> she, she is super villainy, and I'm digging that. Uh, I think, you know, if I have any complaints, is that it's it comes off as a little two-dimensional this season. But That's there how this some, works, though. Exactly. There were some characters in season one that I would have had the same complaint about who completely turned it around in season two and became much more dimensional. So I think it's just a matter of letting Tori bake a little bit longer, and I think we'll be all the way there with her. Yeah, I mean, like, I was thinking, what does this rivalry do that the previous ones we've seen doesn't do, right? And the previous ones that we've seen are basically, you know, Daniel and Johnny, and then Miguel and Robbie. And I'm like, does it always have to be about a romantic relationship, or does that always have to be the inciting incident? And unfortunately, I mean, I think there are more ways in which you can build a rivalry, but... This makes the most narrative sense. I think that the thing about Sam and Tori that is interesting is that it recasts the idea of who's the bully and who's the bullied. They both kind of bully each other, but Tori is more... Sam judges Tori early on because she sees her taking alcohol when she and Aisha are at the beach club together. Mm-hmm. And that leaves Sam to think that Tori is a, you know, a thief in, in other ways. And Tori becomes ever more aggressive towards Sam at first because she perceives Sam as a spoiled rich girl. And then Sam becomes more aggressive herself towards Tori or not necessarily aggressive, but resentful because she realizes eventually that Tori's having a relationship with Miguel. Each thing builds upon the last thing. It's not like the karate kid where the rich kids were the bullies and Daniel, the scrappy poor kid was the underdog. It's more like they trade back and forth Mm -hmm. But aggression still causes problems. The fact that anyone can become a bully, albeit in different ways, depending on your social position, uh, that doesn't mean that there are no consequences for your actions. It's almost become something of a cliche at this point because you hear this every time, you know, every time you read something about movie writing, but it's like the good villains are never villains in their own mind, right? It's like every villain is the hero of their own story. Exactly. I get that read from Tori as well. Like everything she does in her head feels justified to her. Yeah. And I think that works. As we watch these episodes and she says to Miguel, like, you know, basically you should make your ex jealous by dating someone else. 
she's casual about things at first. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm not going to blame her for getting that relationship with Miguel because everything is so complicated. But I don't think that anyone in that situation realized how quickly those attachments would form and that would become complicated. So one other thing I really liked, though, is that the women feuding over Miguel were not uh, necessarily seeing him as an object of property. Like, because like when men feud over women, it's like, that's my girl or that's my, that's my person. Yeah. And I think that while they were feeling both sort of proprietary or attached to Miguel, um, they weren't being like, you've taken my man. Women aren't all like that. Yeah, I don't get the impression for them that it's necessarily, it's not about you took my man. It's about you got in between me and this thing that I want. Yeah. Which is a big, big difference. And it's funny, though, because, like, I just keep thinking, in every instance of this, right, why can't the aggrieved party or the one who perceives themselves to be aggrieved just talk to their partner and be like, Allie, are we really broken up? Okay, go make out with Daniel. Or, oh, or, oh. or Sam, did you, are, you in, are you interested in Robbie? You're not, then I won't beat him up. Or actually, maybe it's not even a problem. I don't have to beat him up at all. Or, oh, you know, why do they have to blame the other person? Yes, Colin, you have your hand raised? I have the answer for this. Oh, yes. It's because they're teenagers. Oh, nah, come on. <laughs> I was smarter than that as a teenager. Amanda calls it in, in season one. She's like... So what? He's a kid. He's a kid, and kids do dumb things. They and do. boy, this season... They they really top themselves. Uh, one last fan theory. Um, okay, about about Sam and Tori. About Tori specifically. Okay, she's Allie's kid. Well, we I'm can, gonna call that now. We can. Ex- so if I'm right, called shot. I'm gonna. I don't know about that, but I have another fan theory that I will mention in a little bit. Mm. Um, and exciting. So yeah, since we know that Allie is back, insofar as having accepted Johnny's friend request. I'm going to say that I don't know if Tori is Allie's kid, but I think that Allie might be Miguel's doctor. I think that that is also a very likely thing that could very well happen. Because she's a pediatric surgeon, right? You know, if Allie gets back in the mix, I think that would be... There's all sorts of angles that they could work from more than just, oh, you know, Daniel and Johnny have their rivalry reheated by Allie. There's that would no be way ridiculous. that Allie would give either of those two sad sacks the time of day in exactly. that way. Exactly. She's I think everybody's on. expecting that, but I don't think the show's going to give the us show's that. Not, no, the show shouldn't give us that. They shouldn't yeah. do that to Allie. She was always a character in her own right beyond being an object of their desire. Absolutely. So enough said about that one. But yeah, those are our two fan theories. Yeah, Allie's going to be back, but for very different reasons than what people may think. Um, moving on, what is to become of Karate in the Valley? Oh my god, can I spoil your fan theory for season three? Yes, give everybody my theory. Colin's theory for season three is that Karate will be banned in the Valley. I think that that's the only It's gonna be footloose, but for Karate. Oh my gosh, and that plays right into the 80s nostalgia. And Kevin Bacon might even appear. (gasps) Do we dare hope? I I hope so. I hope so too. But but seriously, like this is the thing that struck me about this final fight, which <laughs> is eight minutes. It's buck wild for a number of reasons, but primarily, which <laughs> is just in the real world, if that happened, the school would just go on lockdown. There is like presumably, presumably the vet, like that's what makes this final fight so wonderfully absurd is the fact that it just got so completely out of hand almost to like prison riot levels yeah. <laughs> of, of uh, excess and i was loving every minute of it obviously right up until the uh, the final thing where things got real i feel like for next season these kids everybody miyagi do cobra kai everybody's going to juvenile detention even sam sam's going to lock up that would be amazing. I don't know, man, but like, I will say this. that I, I can see, you know, Matt Lewis as Ron reconvening the All Valley board to control the damage and just like kicking Daniel and off the board. <gasps> oh my goodness. That's definitely got to happen because they've got to have a tournament yeah. next year and suddenly like karate they just bought is those the... new mats. Yes, exactly. Well, also, I mean, this endangers a number of things. Johnny and Daniel through these this last year of in world time have weaponized a significant number of high school students which caused a major incident at a school 
Daniel's business is now at risk here this because his whole brand, his because that's his whole brand. Yeah, he can't go around being the karate guy who caused the school riot. Like that would be bad news. Johnny is kind of used to being a pride at this point, so I'm sure he'll just go off and do whatever. But, exactly. But Daniel has a significant financial loss to reckon with here. Like, what if, like, all those parents at the schools decide to sue? Like, they could sue Miyagi-Do, they could sue Cobra Kai. Yeah. It, you know, there's all sorts of fallout there that could be potentially exploited in a season three. And the other thing is that Johnny isn't running Cobra Kai, so... Crease could be like, I had nothing to do. Exactly. And so, yeah. 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 Crease could Crease could do what Crease does best, which is worm his way out at the last second. Yeah. <laughs> he could fake his death for a third time just to get everybody off his back. Man, Johnny's just standing outside a red box and receded drunkenly looking for a copy of Iron Eagle. Aw. That's the saddest thing. <laughs> I can imagine. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so, yeah. And the other thing I want to say is we're talking about, like, what becomes of Karate in the Valley. Mm-hmm. I just want to point out from the actual fight that we saw in the finale that whereas in the previous season, Cobra Kai had the most wins in the final fights at the tournament. In this, Miyagi-Do, I was watching and I think Miyagi-Do won all or nearly all of those fights. Like, every student who was a Miyagi-Do student wound up defending the hell out of themselves against a Cobra Kai. That's true. Even despite having technically won in terms of, you know, who's still standing at the end of a fight, Miyagi-Do lost the moral high ground. In um, a serious way. In a serious way. So, like, whereas, you know, Daniel had some actual leg to stand on in terms of critiquing Cobra Kai. Now, I don't even know. The worst is that if Daniel comes to the point that Johnny was at last season where he realizes what he has done wrong and his part in it, he doesn't have any power with which to change it. He and Johnny have both been deprived of the platforms they could have used for good. Exactly. It will depend only on the largesse of the kids themselves. Maybe Aisha or someone will be like a go between yeah. there. Well, I mean, and again, it's just like, what do we do in a world where karate has become outlawed? Only outlaws will have karate, right? So what will happen with like... To live outside the law, you have to be honest. Yes, exactly. Well, what happens, like, the first time, like, Sam has to defend herself in a fight? Like, because we still got a full... Like, this happened within the first hour of the first day of school. Yeah, what happens with the rest of the school year? Like... I know. Yeah. Also, again, going back to Daniel's personal stakes in this, Amanda has laid down a very clear directive. You... Like, this is Daniel LaRusso. You can't tell the karate kid not to do karate... And realistically expect him to stick to that. Like, I, there's got to be some way forward there. And seeing what that will look like will be very interesting. Yeah, yeah. So, next item of business is, oh my god, Dimitri is a real character now. Yeah, so <laughs> the cool thing that season two does is I think we check in on pretty much every single major and minor character from season one. Nope. We don't get to have a live scene with Yasmin, although we see a picture of her. We don't yeah. get to see the old bullies, Kyler and Brooks. That's true. I miss those knuckleheads. Where were they during the final fight? Why weren't they front and center holding their cell phones? Because they're too cowardly to get into the fight. That is a good question. I would like to know what would have happened with them. But, you know, we learned what happens to Armand. We learned what happens. <laughs> well, I mean, we go to the Nestor Mart. We go to the Nestor Mart. And Anthony goes to computer camp. So we see him. He's upgraded to the Nintendo Switch this season. I Homeless guess that's, Lynn is there. Yes, Lynn. We catch up with her at, a, at one point. Yeah, we catch up with almost everybody. Certain characters from season one, like Dimitri, now have an arc. And Dimitri's arc is so good. Especially since he was so obnoxious in season one. And to now make us care about him as a character is kind of amazing. And to see him have complexity. He can be vulnerable, even despite himself. He can Um, be a bit heroic. He can bring something to the dojo, and he can even learn some karate. Yes. Yeah, no. And he also fights both righteous and ignoble fights with Dimitri-style tools. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Gianni DiCenzo is just a gem, and I'm really happy that they've developed his character further because he is yeah. hilarious. And Agreed. and I've always said that I'm the Dimitri, so I'm really happy that Dimitri got more time. Speaking of characters who need more time, the final point on our outline here is... 
Did this season shortchange Aisha? Yeah, that was the one thing we were both saying, right? We want more Aisha. Kind of going over it in my head now, I'm thinking, I think we got about as much Aisha as we possibly could. Mm. But I feel like, again, her character is friends with Sam, but she's also a core member of Cobra Kai. She's not at the Cobra Kai secret class that Johnny barges into at the very end of season two. Yeah, Kreese's little Vietnam she's, room. Yeah, she's yeah. noticeably absent there. So it'll be very interesting to see if she defects to go Miyagi-Do next season or if she's on the run like everybody else. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you got to take it on the run in Cobra Kai. Yeah. Well, so I will say this about Aisha. One thing that I thought was a missed opportunity was that I think her character, although Aisha doesn't have time for bullshit, they have an opportunity there with Paul Walter Hauser as Stingray um, to have Aisha as a foil for him or like as a check on his total bullshit like that would have been nice she can maybe in the next season if he's still part of it too like throw more overt shade on him it's just so perfect he's an emblematic fanboy yes everyone in any kind of community that can have fans like that has one of these guys Mm -hmm. we know some personally and aisha is the person who's just like i'm here to do my business get out of my way you know yeah yeah i think that that might be something that they could have done and and maybe we'll see her gain more prominence as a voice of reason i think she will probably be very instrumental in the next season yeah exactly shall we make a rundown of some of our faves yeah so closing out this very special episode let's just go through kind of our let's just call it a mini awards ceremony here for our best ofs season two yes uh let's start with favorite scene what is your favorite scene dinner double date Inadvertent dinner double date in ah, ep- yes. in episode nine when uh, of course there had to be some sort of Daniel Johnny rapprochement in in episode nine. <laughs> yes, this exactly. is how Cobra Kai works. They make you really happy, give you the thing you never knew you always wanted. Although now we kind of knew we wanted that. And I mean, it's even a, it was Carmen and Amanda were there, and it was wonderful. Yeah. And then you know, boom, they lowered the boom. But before they did, man, it was so neat to see those four hanging out and see Daniel giving Johnny a chance and Johnny enjoying himself and learn to be less afraid. And Machio and Zabka's chemistry and the fact that they've known each other as friends for years like really comes out in that scene for sure. So I, I loved it. I, it's a different kind of feeling than um, the REO Speedwagon sing along, but yeah. it's still great. Uh, yeah, I, I nicknamed that scene Take It on the Run Part 2. What about you? What was your favorite scene? Um, my favorite scene is Daniel training Dimitri. Oh my god. So, <laughs> talking about heightening and how this show is definitely, in some key ways, funnier than it was last year. And I think that they really understand more what's funny about these characters and about these situations. And I think nothing encapsulates that so clearly as the scene where Daniel is trying to train Dimitri in the same way that Daniel himself was trained, and it's just not working because Dimitri is just such an obnoxious weirdo. They, like, interrupt the Bill Conti <laughs> Right, well, that's the thing. It's like, and... they're still playing, like, the Bill Conti score, and it's, and it's, and it's this contrast between the swelling, epic feel of it, and then Dimitri just kind of cutting Daniel off at the knees at every single moment. And you're just like, oh, come on, kid. Yeah. Yeah. And you feel what Daniel's feeling. Like, I think everybody's been in that kind of situation. And uh, yeah, I think it's not like a a jokey scene. It's not like there are punchlines per se, but the scenario itself is intrinsically funny. And that is a much more difficult thing to do. Next category, favorite new relationship. Oh, Daniel and Dimitri. I also had Daniel and Dimitri. <laughs> yes, Daily Double. They're they're Game of Thrones buddies. They are Game of Thrones buddies now. That is true. Like I, I mean, <laughs> that is the great thing. It's like Daniel shortchanges himself so much, and he doesn't have he doesn't have self confidence about being a teacher yet he finds connections so effortless when he doesn't think about it, right? Right. Yeah, he's able to connect with Dimitri over Game of Thrones. He's able to get Dimitri to a place where he can at least defend himself competently by the end of the season, and that in itself is, you know, a testament to Miyagi-Do. The reason I love Dimitri as well with Daniel is that he pushes Daniel to think of new ways to teach, like when Dimitri is always anxious and Daniel's like, but that's good. That means you anticipate. So you can anticipate the things you have to defend. And I'm like, Daniel, I just read a think piece about anxiety as a form of productive anticipation. Mm -hmm. You genius. 
it's just really nice to see that really karate can be for everyone. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, some aspects of karate can apply to any human situation. That's just really so fun. And they are hilarious. So best newcomer, Colin, who is in your category for best newcomer? Uh, for best newcomer, I have picked the Cobra Kai mobile. So oh my God. Johnny has taken his challenger from season one. And very quickly, <laughs> I think at the top of episode two of season two, he gives it a an upgrade. He tricks it out. He paints it black. He sees a red car and he wants to paint it black. He sees a red car and he wants to paint it black. He does some nice Cobra Kai detailing, complete with Cobra Kai logos and yellow stripes. Some Cobra Kai upholstery, which I'm sure was not cheap. You know the showrunners of this show have that upholstery in their cars. Probably, but... John, Josh, and Hayden, we know you're (laughs) listening, and we know you have the Cobra Kai upholstery. But the thing I love about it the most is just the idea that Johnny is an intrinsically 80s guy. And what do we know about the 80s? 80s was the period of peak statement cars. The Ghostbusters Ecto-1, the Back to the Future DeLorean, the A-Team van, all iconic 80s cars. And so Johnny, being an iconic 80s guy, he (laughs) needs his own iconic 80s car, and he got it. So that is my pick for Best Newcomer. What about you? That is very, very good. My Best Newcomer, it was hard because I think Peyton List did such a great job, but I have to say for the understated, awesome moments of comic relief, Nathaniel O., who I think is credited as Nathaniel, not Nate. And he sort of exists as a foil for Bert. I think he was originally... He's Miyagi-Do's Bert, yeah. A new student from Cobra Kai who then went to Miyagi-Do. I believe he defected to Miyagi-Do after Daniel came in and took Johnny to to task for his students trashing Miyagi-Do. Yeah. So uh, Nathaniel goes over and joins Miyagi-Do, but like... Just every time he's in a scene, he quietly steals it by like dancing at the at the party mm-hmm. at Moon's house. You call it what the Moon Base? Yes, Moon Base Alpha. Dan- dancing at, at the Moon Base, or when he and Bert fight in the final scene in the final fight sequence. Like this is freaking amazing. So I have to hand it to that guy for like comically just stealing these scenes in a very subtle way, but consistently. And I can't wait to see how he and Bert face off in season three, even though karate is banned because it's going to be karate footloose. It is going to be Karate Footloose, for Um, sure. Yeah. So, best fight scene? The school fight, obviously. I'm not going to repeat myself too much from what I said earlier, but yeah, it's just, it's absurd in other ways. It's one of the most badass fights that I've seen in recent memory. Uh, Certainly for a television show, it was wonderfully unexpected. Going off of your point of having, like, Daniel and Bert fight each other, it seems that every member of Cobra Kai has a corresponding member of Miyagi-Do and they all fight one-to-one in this massive multi-choreographed hallway fight that just spans from one end of the school to the other. And um, there's even a great moment where Paul Walterhauser gets in the mix and like, you know, for the majority of the season, he's just been like doofy comic relief guy. But even he gets to be a little bit of a badass in that final fight uh, as he... He kind of becomes the school's screech where he's going to become the security guard, even though he's way too old to be hanging around any of these and kids. And then starts fighting for Cobra Kai. Yeah. Even that is a great little moment in a much larger, much broader choreographed fight. But anyway, I go on about it. What is your favorite fight? So this is hard because there are many, many, many good fights. There is the return of the OG Cobras who get in a bar brawl together. That is an excellent one. There is Johnny's Poetic Justice where he, he matches and, and in many ways kicks the shit out of Crease and could have killed him, really. Or I mean, that gets things started off on a high note for sure. Martin Cove is, is terrifying in his strength. And there's also the mall fight, which uses the karate original Karate Kid Halloween fight music so beautifully and mm-hmm. lets us see the wheel in action. Yes. As Robbie and Sam put the wheel in action and Dimitri gets to be like a springboard for somebody to, to kick from. And I think that we're in Game of Thrones land. We're about to see the Battle of Winterfell. We, like, a season or two ago, we saw the Battle of the Bastards. I feel like the the high school fight sequence of all those different fights is like the karate TV show equivalent of such an epic battle. I cannot imagine the, the work that Hirokoda's team and everyone put into that sequence. But I have to say, for me, the best fight scene was one that sets up the physical stakes of the high school scene. And that is Johnny and Daniel's fight at the beginning of the season finale when Daniel has stormed in to take Sam home and you know his own shame and rage at, at not knowing where his daughter is, his embarrassment, it causes him to lash out. 
Oh um, yeah, that was. And, and it was it was incredible because it showed that Daniel can become unhinged. Daniel can strike first, and and Johnny was totally on the defensive until mm-hmm. it reached a point. Daniel kicked the door open. It hit Johnny in the face. And watching Johnny and Daniel take physical knocks. Yeah. Was, I think, much more grounding than anything else that we've seen. Because Kreese coming back was already like a fantasy situation. Like, right. is this even real? Um, <laughs> you know, and all those other, all those other fight sequences were, were just amazing. But they were also kind of almost indulgent in the sense that it's like, this is fun. This is like crazy. And no one's going to really get hurt, right? But when you see a door hit Johnny Lawrence in the nose and he's like holding his face or in the jaw or whatever, in the chin, and then Johnny throws Daniel into a TV. Mm-hmm. And these are two grown men reenacting some of the same karate moves that they went through as kids. Like, that is the exact fight we didn't, we you know, we want to see, but we don't want to see because mm-hmm. these are older people who are going to get hurt. And the physicality of that fight, the immediate physicality of the camera right there set up the, oh no, fights can really hurt you that then had disastrous consequences in the high school fight sequence. Absolutely. That is a great call out. And speaking of great call outs, what is our favorite Easter egg? Colin, you go first. I think my favorite Easter egg is Terry Silver. I know. (laughs) Darkening our doorstep in a very quick flashback cameo um, when Daniel is revealing to the kids that for a hot minute he was in Cobra Kai, technically speaking, and that was when it was under the stewardship of a Mr. Terry Silver, evil billionaire industrialist who wants to, for some reason, get revenge on a 16-year-old kid. Or run for president in 2016. <laughs> I think <laughs> I, I think there's a, a probability mm-hmm. that... Terry Silver is Miguel's dad. That would be an amazing reveal. I I don't know. I mean, it depends on how they write it. Like, I just think he's still in the ether because Kreese has talked about his buddy offered him a job. It's been in the air. And Carmen keeps talking about Miguel's dad and what a bad man he is. We know he's a bad man. And we know he's somewhat of a globetrotter. So, you know, there's nowhere that Terry Silver couldn't turn up. So he's still in the mix. Every everybody's still in the mix. Technically, Chosen's still in the mix. He could show up. Yeah, if Chosen shows up, I will. I will. I will be so excited. I mean, yeah. Mike Barnes is still out there somewhere. Yeah, well, the bad boy of karate himself. I know he's waiting. <laughs> no, so like my best Easter egg was, although this is actually also very sad, the death of Tommy, the original Cobra oh, Kai up at yeah. like Big Bear Lake or whatever, because when he was declared dead, the EMTs actually put him in a body bag. Yeah. Are you crying or laughing? It's a little bit of both. I mean, we talk a lot about magic tricks that good shows and movies can pull off. And this is definitely one of them. The contrast of taking this very grim, very serious, very solemn moment and just putting a little joke in there. Like, just just something for the fans. Like, it's purely a visual pun. Which is something that I love. Yeah, you love. Yeah, but I mean, can you imagine being Rob Garrison? Yeah. Being approached by these guys, like, come on the show. Well, we're going to put you in a body bag. For reals. You know, after people have been coming up (laughs) and yelling, put him in a body bag at you for the whole time. I think he ad libbed that line. I'm yes, pretty he sure. did. Yeah, I, he ad libbed that line in ADR. Avildsen was like, just say anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's established. (laughs) Get him a body bag! Yeah. yeah, so amazing. That's Bravo. my Easter egg of choice. Bravo to everyone for acting through that absolutely, yes. like, that hilarious Easter egg with total commitment and making me feel really bad for Tommy. If the producers are listening, we're going to need to see some season two outtakes. I mean, I'd love some season one outtakes I, as well, but... They tweeted that there's a blooper reel out there. Ooh, I we know. need that blooper reel. We do, we do. Um, anyway, so moving on, MVP of the season speaking of call out performances i went all over the map before i settled on unsurprisingly billy zabka he had a lot of tough work to do Mm -hmm. in this season i have to say like ralph macchio also really did some good work like really brought stakes to daniel that we hadn't seen in the previous season a sense of like vulnerability and uncertainty i think though that his harder dramatic work is coming up and that what we saw from billy zabka was like a dark night of the soul on so many levels having to confront what happened in the in the previous season finale having to confront his former mentor having to learn how to do that taking all these stands repeatedly the loss of his friend the awareness that his surrogate son could die because partly 
through things that he had taught him, the thought that his own son, because of Johnny's own failure to be a dad at the right time, was part of that. Mm -hmm. I mean, the way that he acted through all of those challenges was just ridiculously good. And Mm -hmm. it was just so involving. So he anchored the show in both comedy and tragedy and just, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So who's your MVP? I have picked... For my MVP, the character of Samantha. Now, Mary Mauser did an excellent job portraying Sam, and she took Sam to some great, interesting places, some places we didn't know we needed to go. But specifically, I'm going to give this to the character of Sam um, because, you know, in season one, Sam has a fair amount of agency, but really she's coming off of one bad relationship. She's going into another. At the end of the season, you're just like, you know, take some agency back. And guess what? Season two delivers that in a big way. She goes right into Miyagi-Do, which is exactly what they were teasing at the end of the season one. She becomes a key player in Miyagi-Do. She develops her own rivalry with Cobra Kai's femme fatale in the form of Tori. We get to see her not only kind of rise to the ranks, but then there's the party at Moonbase Alpha where we get to see Sam use Miyagi-Do for evil, which is not something I ever would have expected going into season two. But I, During the was, drinking game? Yes. When she d- finds her balance? Yes, exactly. And, you know, there's going to be some karmic payback for using Miyagi-Do for evil, but we'll just have to see where that goes. Yeah. So what do we need more of going into... The next season. I mean... It's our final question. You know, there's so many things with such a broadcast and so much potential for storytelling here. But if there's anything I'm going to need a little bit more of next year, it's Anthony. Come on. Two scenes. One where he's like, I'm going to computer camp. And then the next scene where he's like, I'm back from computer camp. Like... Come on. I mean, it's it's great that you th- remembered to include him at all, and maybe there's he was doing something else. Who knows what's going on with that? What if it's but... true lies and Anthony's secretly the best karate person of all? Whoa. Like like he's the Arnold Schwarzenegger, and, and we're, the rest of us are the Jamie Lee Curtis. Yes, that. Anyway, um, <laughs> that's my short answer. Just more Anthony, please. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, I've already said that I needed more Aisha insofar as I think Nicole Brown's just great at it. I think I need more Okinawa. Ooh, I definitely think we need to see Okinawa. Yeah. I mean, look, I'm sure it's not going to be cheap to do, no matter how you do it. The way they did in the 80s is they flew to Hawaii and they built a bunch of buildings on the beach. I'm sure you cannot fly the huge cast of Cobra Kai out to Hawaii as much as they might want to go. No, but there are but sets. You can do so much you, with a set. You could do some green screen, even if it's just for an episode where Daniel's like, you know what, I'm going to get out of here. I think like, Daniel's going <laughs> to, but I think Daniel will have like a dark night of the soul. I mean, and the other thing is, oh, that, for sure. is that Tamlin Tamita is out there. An excellent yes, actor is, is out also there out there. Yeah, yeah she, she is in the mix. Yeah, she's in the mix. So like, you know, she's a person who could give us some of that Miyagi-Do feeling. Yeah, we um, need that. And anchor it with some, some gravitas from the past. Mm-hmm, so I'm mm-hmm. going to say I need more Okinawa, whatever that form that takes. Any thoughts in conclusion? We've been waiting for all these months, and we got what we wanted, and boy. <sighs> well, you know, <sighs> as they say, I've been waiting for this moment all my life. Hold on. I don't know what that means. No, I think this season definitely met expectations and exceeded it in several several important ways and i'm very excited to see season one they clearly pulled it together in such a way that they could have left it there and it would have been like a nice continuation of the karate kid this season they clearly left some stuff hanging because they know that they want to come back and tell some more cobra kai stories And so I'm very excited for the possibilities that that raises. I'm really excited because I think that the end of season one issued a number of challenges to existing fans of the Karate Kid franchise saying like, you know, this isn't just to watch dudes beat up on each other. Like there's a moral component to this show. And season two really drove home that there are consequences to actions and that this is a real world, if, a, if an odd world, in which karate is truly king until it gets footloose. So, uh, you know, like, for example, with Kreese, I was like, how on earth are they going to bring John Kreese back? He was such a cartoon villain, you know, by the end of the Karate Kid trilogy. He was a cool cartoon villain, but he was still, like, you know, chewing the scenery. And so 
given the understated nature of Cobra Kai, where it sneaks up on you, like, how would that work? They just did such a good job. And Martin Cove is so talented. He's the real figure that grounds this moral exploration as well, whereby it's like, okay, we can have sympathy for the man that that doesn't, you know, for that he's gone out of touch, but also he's been a jerk and it doesn't mm-hmm. excuse that he's doing bad. Of course, humanizing him doesn't excuse him. Like, of course, like that fits perfectly. And so now that we see just how they're using his villainy and his vulnerability, I can't wait to see what happens with him and all of them in season three. Like obviously Johnny and Daniel are going to have to have a team of rivals mm-hmm. in some way. I'm not sure what that is yet, but like, that's going to be, I can't wait. I can't believe we have to wait, like, you know, however many months it will be. Yeah. Can't we just go into the table reads? Like, just please. I mean, we got to get out of here, but one last prediction. I feel like the show is obviously pulling for the kind of Daniel and Johnny to come together in some way. Yeah. And presumably create some new... Johnny has clearly been kicked out of Cobra Kai. Daniel can't do Miyagi-Do. They've got to come together and figure out the karate problem. Johnny and Daniel are both going to get sentenced to community service, and as such, they're going to have to go to improv classes together. That would be amazing. (laughs) Daniel would be yes-anding beyond the point of understanding, and Johnny would just be like, no, 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 no. But what a, and and what of Topanga Karate? They're still out there. I know. They're in the mix. I know. Xander Stone's out there. The rabbi's out there. Yes. What's gonna happen? I know. I know. That I mean that does it. We're gonna. I'm gonna have to go through got, some therapy. We've got a lot to chew on. We're gonna now have to go back and recap each one of these <laughs> ten episodes in detail now. Yeah. I mean, these were just our general impressions. Now we're going to have to deep dive on every single episode. Yeah, we hope Uh, you join us for that. Oh, absolutely. We're grateful you joined us for this. We're grateful you joined us for this. So that was our season two impressions episode. Our reactions to season two. Season two react. Cobra Kai. Oh, Cobra Kai. Uh, Please join us next week as we do Mercy Part 2. Until then, I've been Colin Kennedy. I'm Jenny Carlson, and we'll see you around the Miyagi-verse. See you around the Miyagi-verse. This podcast has been produced and hosted by Colin Kennedy and Jenny Carlson. Our music is by Chepo. You can find us at Karate Kid Pod on Twitter. And wherever you download podcasts.